Hey, listeners, welcome back to Pocket Change. Today, I'm really excited to have my friend Anthony Buktovich back with us. And today we're going to talk about coaching, leadership, and reminiscing about our good friend uh, who recently passed away, Coach Rich Stubler. Stay tuned. And welcome back, Pocket Change listeners. Today, I am super stoked. We have my good friend Anthony back with us. Hey, Anthony. How you doing? Thanks for having I'm, me. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well, really well. It's been it's been a busy summer, but everything a good busy, as we say. It's a good busy. A a good busy, a good busy. Well, so hey, since you were with us last time, you have now moved into doing some coaching as well. Yeah, I um so having spent some time what obviously as as we had talked before and and when we first met, spending that time in Montreal working with athletes and getting asked a lot of questions about really things around mental health or just performance in general, it was kind of difficult because it was things that I hadn't really explored. Um, so I went and I took the training. Um, I, I've been working with a clinic here in Edmonton and they send me a lot of athletes who've been injured because my background is in disability management. So working with injured people, um, and so it's really a nice transition and just talking to athletes in general and helping them through things because a lot of times they don't know who to talk to when they have issues. They can't go talk to their coaches because they're worried about getting released or how they're going to mm. be looked at in different conversations. They can't talk to their friends and their family. Um, <clears throat> so it was just kind of a natural outlet just based on what started just from conversations in the locker room. And then... Uh, just a dedication since then to really look into um, what kind of resources can we provide to these individuals to help them and, and help them get over either mental blocks, limiting beliefs, or just dealing with challenges, regular everyday challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's so, it, it's powerful because, you know, as an athlete, it's one of those things that, you know, you hit on it. It's, when you have an injury, coming back from that injury and reusing it, like, I mean, I look at some of our, the guys that we worked with back in Montreal, right? I mean, Cavis broke his neck, right? Coming yeah. back from that, right? I mean, like, how do you come back from that and feel confident and stable on the field when you, you've got that fear that kind of just lives in the back of your mind, right? So I think it, it's powerful. And, you know, Anthony, I don't think we've ever really talked about our time together with the Montreal Alouettes. I mean, that was a... That was a whirlwind, and and it's funny. People often they they don't they don't know how to react when I tell them that you know I was behind the coach search. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was well, I was dark ops on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and some of those things we'll just leave where where it is in the dark. But um, <laughs> no, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting we we haven't because it was a very unique experience. I mean, coming from a corporate background, working in oil and gas, uh, and I still do some of that. Um, and then going into a professional sports environment, you know, I, 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 I've, I've often said corporations want to run like sports teams and sports teams want to run like corporations. So being behind the scenes on both mm -hmm. and you having the same experience, it's really cool because you get to see different things and learn different and transfer them between the two industries. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, if, if you want to explore that today, I'd be happy to discuss <laughs> those times because it was... Well 
it was wild, man. Like we 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 were building something really magnificent. And you know, I I, I kind of maybe want to just pause and um, take a second to recognize and just you know really remember our guy, Rich Stubler. You know, I mean. Stubes. Stubes. We just, I mean, we just lost him. So for our listeners, we just lost Stubler probably about three weeks ago now. Um, and it was a big shock. He was somebody, he and I had a very, very unique relationship. Um, mm. You know, interesting. I mean, one time he told me that if he was 30 years younger, he would have had children with me. And my response was, well, <laughs> you're the woman that I would have loved to have children with, he says to me. And I was like, I get a say in this, right? Like, I, I didn't want to do that again. But, you know, we were, you know, I remember I, I did this competition one time and um, it was after I had left the team and he checked in on me and, and I had not done very well. And I, I messaged him and I said, how do you come back from that depth of loss? Right. Like that was the kind of relationship we had. It was really uh, deeply intimate and very special. And um, our retreat in remote Quebec. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Remember, we went out and he he was like he was vegetarian at the time. And I use air quotes with vegetarian. (laughs) He shows up and he had the plate of vegetables, cheese and bread. (laughs) It's funny you said that because at that dinner, uh, it was the first meal. So I had actually met Stubler five years before in Edmonton when he was coaching in Edmonton. I was um, I was coaching high school and they did a coach's clinic. So he was one of the coaches that were talking. And so I had a picture of he and I together before I actually ended up working. I mean, if you told me then that I'd be working with the man one day, I would have told you where to go and how to get there. Um, but that dinner that you're talking about, um before the lunch before i'm sitting next to him and we're having a conversation he's and the lady's coming around to take our order and she says what can i get you and he says can i get a pizza and just a few pieces of pepperoni on it and i'm like stoops i thought you said you're a vegetarian he goes oh yeah 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 i'm uh, i'm 80 vegetarian I was like, Stoops, you can't be 80% vegetarian. That's like saying you're 80% pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either a vegetarian or you're not. <laughs> but that was the guy. Like he had it, he went by his own rules in a lot of ways. And he didn't he didn't conform to a lot of things that we would in society. And I think so that's what made him so endearing um, and really valuable in 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 my heart is you know when I met him, I was going through a difficult time and a lot of advice he was giving me uh, still sticks with me to this day and really helped me during that time. And um, yeah, he's, he's a special guy, but I'm so happy you brought that up because I'll never forget that as 80% vegetarians, just not something you think about, but (laughs) no, you know, and he was um, like, I remember every time he came to Calgary or anytime he was in Edmonton, no matter which team he was with, um, he always wanted to get together for dinner. And so we would go and we would have dinner with him and we would just sit and bullshit. And like the the last time that I think it was when we were when you guys were in, um, you were still with the team and you guys came to Edmonton and um, he got us these fantastic seats. And so we went for dinner first and then, you know, we went and we we had the game. And then, of course, you know, we we sat and visited with you before we had to go. But like that was that was the last time that I saw him. Um, but we talked almost every day. Like he would oh, message wow. me on, oh, we, he would message me on Instagram every day. He was sending me videos of where he grew up and he would, you know, I remember there's this one story that he used to tell me and it's never left me. And it was, um, you know, when he was a young kid, his dad would say to him, boy, 
And then he'd say to me, he called me boy all the time. Okay. Boy, every morning when you wake up, he would say, you have a choice. You can get up and choose mediocrity or you can choose excellence. Oh, that's deep. Right? Right. And like that has never left me ever. And so, you know, he wrote plays for me while he was in Montreal. So I, it was funny because, you know, we're sitting here and I think it was just the the game before. Um, I think it was when Manville was in town and and he came in with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and he had written these plays. And Aaron says to me, all these players are going to be on the field muttering, Kate, Kate, do the Kate, Kate. <laughs> And so I have a picture of them. He he sent them to me. The Kate and the Ruth, the Ruthie. He used to refer to her as Ruth. Yes, I remember those. Yes, I think I still have them. I I still have one of the playbooks on on my shelf. So I, I bet you if I went dig, I could find them. It's heartbroken. I was sitting in the chair getting my hair done, and actually, Erin phoned me and she said, "I saw it on social media, and I didn't want you to see it on social media because I knew that you guys had um, a really unique relationship." So, mm. yeah, rest in power, man. I mean, like that was. Those are some crazy times, though. Let me tell you what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, and it was interesting. Like, it was, you know, kind of going into more into, you know, what happened during our time there. But also, you know, another Stubler story is that this was my first venture into pro sports. Like, I had been involved at all the other levels before it. And this was just completely different, something I wasn't used to. And one of the things that I was told before I got there was you just have to be honest be genuine, be honest, because people will sniff that out very quickly. And once you lose them, that's it. Like you can't get mm -hmm. that back. And I thought, well, that's really applicable in a lot of areas of life, but especially in, 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 in a locker room or, or behind the scenes. And so Stubler, when, when I got there, I, I wasn't necessarily in that role, but he was kind enough to um, give me an opportunity. And so he made me one of his like junior assistants and, um, started giving me a bunch of different responsibilities. And there was one where one day he just walks up to me and this, and, and Steve is not the guy that sits down and explains everything in a lot of detail right off the bat. So he just, <laughs> so he walks over, he's got this binder and he gives me the binder and he says, all right, young man, you're running, you're running cards today. And running cards just essentially means you're holding up the cards for the scout team to run so that our first team can see what they're going to be up against and prepare accordingly. So I was like, well, what do you do? He's like, do you have arms? Yep. Can you put them up in the air? Yep. That's all you got to do is put the cards that's on the paper and you're done. And I said, like, okay, well, how hard can this be? Um, by the way, I don't know if this is one of those explicit podcasts where we can use language because I could change it, but um, I started doing this. And what I also wasn't used to was the speed at the CFL because you only have players for a certain period of time. So practice, like, we don't waste seconds. You can't waste seconds. Wasting seconds is losing reps, which has a negative effect on the team. So I'm standing there, I'm holding up these cards, and I'm thinking, these guys are pros. Like, they're just going to line up where they're supposed to. And they're, I have two guys arguing about who's lining up where. And Stubes is in the back yelling at me, come on, come on, you're burning reps. Let's go, let's go. TSN's on the sidelines. Everyone's watching me. And I'm starting to get nervous. <laughs> And after about two or three plays, he gets really mad. So he comes storming over, grabs the binder out of my hands. And I'll, I won't use the language, but he's like, three of you over here, two of you over there. Let's go. And just like that, guys just went exactly where they were supposed to be. And then next rep, he's like, come on, 
two of you guys over here, four of you guys over here, go. And it was just bang. And I thought, okay, well, that makes a little more sense. So now I know what to do for tomorrow. So tomorrow rolls around, different problem, same outcome. Stoops grabbing the binder, people looking. <laughs> and I didn't know this, but but um, Knock told me that they actually had a nickname for me in the beginning called Coach Can't Get Right. So because I could I couldn't get things right. So by the third practice, I thought I'm going to get fired because I actually got in a fight with Stoops, and you don't fight with Stoops if there's something Never. you don't do. So he's like, it's the wrong play. It's the wrong play. I said, it's not the wrong play. It's right here. It's there. He's like, he comes over. He's like, you're not even in the right section. And he flips it over. He throws the book at me. Guys are laughing. I'm thinking after that practice, I thought, that's it. I'm done. I'm fired. So I sat down and I was like, how do I make this better? What do I do? I, I sat down. I, I applied my own approach to it. I asked a few people, like, what would you do? They weren't really sure. They're like, everyone has their own style. So I set this up. And the next day, things are flying. Like, I mean, you couldn't mess up if you tried. And here's the thing. And, and I get calls from athletes that talk about this too. People get worried when things are going wrong. Because like, oh, am I going to get fired? What's going to happen? I'm in a slump. I'm this. People get just as worried when things are going really well. Because it's like, when is the shoe going to, the other shoe going to drop? When is this going to happen? And that's what I was waiting for. But this didn't happen. So then the next day, I'm walking in the bowels of Olympic Stadium, and one of the other coaches comes to me and says, Stoops wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh, here it is. I'm getting let go. It's not, he's a, Well, he's in the team meeting room. I walk in. The entire defense is there. And he says, go to the front of the room. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not getting fired because you wouldn't fire me in front of the whole defense like this. <laughs> and I thought maybe he wants me to run signals. And he says, he says uh, well – since you screwed up the whole first part of the week and uh, yesterday was the first day you didn't screw up, we got you this trophy and I still have it. Oh my God. And it says on it, perfect day, first ever coach cards, Anthony Bookerich. So I started laughing and then all the guys were like speech, speech. So after that meeting, we're walking to the practice field and I walked up to Stoops and I said, Stoops, Y'all went out and got a trophy just for this? He's like, no. Shit, we've had that for six weeks. We just didn't know it would take you this long to get your shit together. (laughs) (laughs) And what I realized was, and I think this is what it is in sports or in business, when you have the right boss, it may not be the style you're used to. It may not be what you're looking for or something you're comfortable with. But growth comes through discomfort. So, it was almost like a test. Did I was I going to just curl up and say I'm done or this isn't for me? Or was this going to be a situation where I was going to work harder, rise to the occasion, find the solution when it looked like nobody else was going to help me find the solution? And I think that's what's unique about sports is you don't always get the answer, but you're still trying to find a solution to the problem. And you got to be creative. You got to go out of the box. And after that, I never had a problem with him. After that, it was perfectly all right to the point where a few weeks later, I actually had to leave. I wasn't at a practice and somebody else took over and they had a coach can't, can't get right practice. And when I came back, all the coaches were like, where were you? Where were you? Oh, this poor guy. He was struggling. Stoops was yelling at him. <laughs> I was like, well, it's good. It's not just me then. I thought it was a personal thing. Oh, man. No, you know, and I, I love that, 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 that 
the growth comes through discomfort. And, you know, I go back to our retreat and, and that retreat was really special, right? Like, do you, I mean, we made vision boards for, for Pete's sakes. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how much money we spent on printing. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Alyssa was not happy with me. She was like, we should have printed this before. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's fine. Right? You guys are made money, right? Uh, you're a pro sports team. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like we look at that and we have, had so much engagement and people were so um, ready to have the hard conversations. And that was one of the things like Stubler actually came up to me and he wrote his phone number on a, on a paper slip and he he handed it over to me and he said, if you ever need someone to come and speak and be with you during your workshop, um, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. And he said, you have changed the way that I see the world. Like the man was 70 at that point and 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 he he told me that I changed the way that he thought based off of the questions that we had and the activities that we did together and it was just like it was really powerful because i think the intent of that was to really solidify the team and bring us forward to say okay so when things aren't going right what are we going to do to be able to come back to what matters right like i don't know if you remember we had these flip charts that were up on the wall. And one of them was, I'm at my best when, and everybody kind of barfed out like one word, what what their, their best. Mm-hmm. And it's a no fly zone when you do this to me, right? Like, so we were basically saying like, these are the things that we're really gonna do good at. And these are the things that you're gonna create conflict with if you come running at me. And, and that was like, that was really, really powerful. I mean, the bus trip up there, everything was really just about, you know, professionalizing and galvanizing this leadership team to be able to coach and drive people all the way through. And um, in some cases we were very successful and in other cases we were not. And I can tell you when things were not successful, I received phone calls saying, I should have listened to you. Mm. You know, and that, that's powerful, right? I mean, our friendships go beyond just the business of what we do. But I think that, you know, when we think about how we drive change, how we excel in sport or business, how we choose to harness our mental health and walk toward the roar to work through the hard shit to get us where we want to be, you know, a team sometimes is what it takes. Absolutely. And and what's interesting in the dynamic, and you see this in whether it's in corporations or in pro sports, is that, you know, it, it, coaches are like you, you have coaches of different levels. So they're like your senior VPs or senior executives and middle management because you have different levels of coaches. But at the end of the day, they're responsible for a unit. So if you're in operations, there's different units in operations in your business. Well, there's different units in football. Right. And then there's position groups. So you have those frontline staff and the way they communicate with each other, the way that they police each other, like for a team, let's be honest, we didn't have the greatest record um, that year. However, what I can say is we had a great locker room. Mm -hmm. The guys in the locker room, in spite of the losses, in spite of the difficulties that we were going through, because the team was going through a transition. um, They really stuck together and they really, um, looked out for one another and and not just on the field, off the field. There was a lot of conversations positive, like you'd go into the locker room and the conversations that were being had were very positive. And if someone was stepping out of line or having, you know, I remember one player complaining about something and one of the veterans coming over and saying, do you know what it was like five years ago? Like you're complaining about this. This is what it was like. Here's where we are now. Be grateful because there's a lot of guys who, essentially got a phone call just a few days ago and went home and you're still here. Mm -hmm. And 
it really and and that player actually did turn things around mentally and and you could see how much they applied and there was a mentorship that just all of a sudden got created at that one conversation um and and that's the thing is but it also starts with with like you said the leadership we had certain coaches that cultivated that you could see the relationships you could see the encouragement and you know in any relationship i think what's extremely important is safety and i don't mean safety as in you're not going to punch me in the face safety in i can tell you certain things and i know you're not going to use it against me or mm-hmm. i'm safe to say this you're not going to belittle me you're not going to make me feel insignificant and there was a lot of coaches you could tell who the coaches were that players felt comfortable with because they could have those safe conversations they could do those things where other ones you could see why that wasn't really there and mm-hmm. that was a real educational piece for me because although i didn't know how to label it i i recognized something special was going on there and and that's where i thought you know later on it was told me it's, it's a safety thing um and that was one thing stubler was really good for cultivating that environment where players can ask questions about the play because at the end of the day it's his responsibility to make sure they understand what he's asking them to do but part of that is a two-way conversation it's not just a one-way conversation where i'm telling you do this a player could ask why because stubes understood that if a player understood why then when they're in the field if there was something that didn't go the way that they wanted they could make adjustments they were free to think on the field which often in corporations you don't see that we have policies, we have procedures because we're trying to mitigate risk. Do it the way I want because I don't want there to be a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that was one of the things like I think he wanted thinkers and he wanted people who took the autonomy and used it with critical thinking. Right. Like mm-hmm. and that was that 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 is something that I think, you know, reflecting back into that that era, that time frame that we were together, there were certainly coaches who the psychological safety, that's really what you're talking about. Psychological safety is the fact that I can come and I can ask questions. I can provide feedback without retribution. I can I can be who I actually am and I'm welcome to be that person. And, you know, we see a lot of that in in corporations when I go into organizations or institutions. Um there is a lack of psychological safety. And that's something that we're very well known for in our workshops. And I mean, you've experienced the workshops, right? And it is about um, creating safety and allowing people to say exactly what is on their mind. Because here's the thing, if if we have topics and we have issues, and the only thing we're going to have is surface level topic conversations, we will never get to the root cause of a problem to improve or or strengthen a culture, right? And, And you can have the most winning culture. There is still stuff that's underneath the surface that needs to be managed, monitored, and and taken care of, right? You yes. have to pay attention to those things because they they fester. It's like, yeah, you can go out and you can uh, hang out on your back deck and you might get a little tiny sliver. And you might not think too much of that little tiny sliver that's a millimeter and a half long, but you leave it in there for too long. And guess what? It's going to fester and you're not going to feel great. Exactly. Exactly. And this is where I think corporations are at a disadvantage than where sports teams are not is um, it was it was really cool. I was, I was reading a book. Uh, the, the title slips my mind right now, but it was about sports and coaches. And what they said was, in sports, we spend 95% of our time cultivating and creating that team and getting to know one another and understanding one another's behaviors and emotions and drivers and needs and all of these types of things. 5% of our week is actually work, where we're performing in the sense of you're for three hours on a weekend, you're playing a game. And you're displaying what 95% of the week was on this stage. 
And then what you do is, regardless of the outcome, positive or negative, you go back in the next week, you reevaluate what happened, what was good, what wasn't good. You change it and you change the team. You, you address the team where it needs to be, any interpersonal issues, any conflicts, this, and you get ready for the next week. Mm-hmm. In corporations, we can't do that. 95% of our time is doing the work. 5% maybe is spent on creating that team. And I think where you see more success is those people in leadership positions who find the extra time to get in and understand the team and discuss this teamwork with other people. And that's a lot of the conversations I'm having with people. And I know you do too, when you're going in and doing the work, like that workshop that we did, that was a big part of it is taking that time Mm -hmm. and getting to understand one another. Because if you're doing this with a corporation, they set aside that time, but how do they get that support down the road? So they're in that seminar, they're in that thing. And for that two, three days, everything feels, yep, we're going to take on the world. But then you go back to your office. How do you keep that going? How do you have those? And for me, I think the biggest one is having those conversations because it wasn't the conversations in the meeting rooms that really made a difference for me. No, it was the five minutes before as we're walking to the practice field or sitting in a, you know, or going in the lunchroom and you're talking to someone. You're like, hey, how you doing? How was your day? What happened on the weekend? And you get to pick up on things. That it doesn't need to be formalized. It doesn't have to be in that, but it also has to take effort. And I think that's the big difference. Well, it is. And and I think the other thing too is it's you're you're touching on different elements of the trust equation, right? And if we think about the trust equation in how we actually develop really strong teams, like there's a whole bunch of models when you think of how a team actually comes together that converge and that you almost need to like overlay, right? So you have Tuckman's group theory right, which is forming, storming, norming, performing, and in, in projects and sports teams, both, it's adjourning, right? When we, we end a season, we know that not everybody's going to come back the next year. We know that, right? Yeah. Same with projects, right? You, you roll off of a project and there's an adjournment phase. Um, but then when you look at that and you start with your forming, then when you take your forming and your norming, what takes you from forming to norming is the, the, the trust equation, which is credibility plus reliability plus intimate connection, right? And those are all valued over your own self-orientation. And this is why you received an award for not messing up right? It's because you were credible, you showed up and you did everything you needed to do. Like you understood the game. You understood why you were there. You were reliable. You were there and you took the plays and you might not have gotten it right, but you were reliably there delivering service to Stubler every single day. And you had intimate connection with him. And that intimate connection came from the point of an 80% vegetarian, not from you sitting down and having an interview. And you always put him before you. You were on time. You were there early. You were doing the things that needed to be done. You were asking for more work, right? So when you think about that, the formation is then adding in the trust equation, which then takes you to norming. And when you enter norming, that's where it starts to get we start to get a little bit more comfortable and we can start to ask questions. But then we start to moving to storming from norming because we start to become comfortable. So now people are now biting and putting their ideas in. And my idea is better than your idea. And so figuring out how to storm then comes back to that trust equation and that psychological safety. It is mm. okay to have conflict. In fact, if a team doesn't have conflict, I'm usually a little suspicious because yeah. um, you're hiding something. 
it's, it's under the surface. And conflict is a beautiful thing, right? Like it drives things forward. And so, you know, when you get to the storming, now we take the we take things like um, the sliding scale of conflict and we educate people on their conflict styles, right? So there's all of these different things that we can put in at a business perspective. But again, like you said, it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes energy, and it takes dollars, right? But yeah. That being said, the fish rots from the head down. So if the top of the organization is not willing to take care of the top of the organization, whatever happens at that level permeates down and through. And we saw that. That's what we lived that season. Right. And it's it's because of it's because of the the coaching scenario. The head coach wasn't the right fit. Right. And, you know, no disrespect. It just wasn't the right fit. He couldn't do the job that he was asked to do. He wasn't he wasn't he didn't speak the language, I guess you could say. And you bring up a few different points, and and I think that's that's you know one of the things that I took away from what you just said because you, you you know you're right about the formation of a team is that um, when how can I with leadership regardless of where it's looking and you know when I when I do work with corporations um, whether it's on the on the disability management side or or this side I'm noticing that it's the accountability is a difficult part for a lot of leadership because this is the way I've done it. This is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of freedom to move in that mindset. And something that was told to me a long time ago is um, I was, I was, I was speaking with an athletic therapist and she was saying like, I, f- I get personally invested in the outcomes of the people I work with. And sometimes to the point where I take that home and I said, well, that's true. And I, and I felt the same way when I got into mental performance, I had a vested interest in your success to the mm-hmm. point where I would think about it constantly. And, and, you know, were you doing this? But what I realized was um, a friend of mine who's a pastor, he said, you know, there's, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes and he asked this person and says, do you want to be healed? And when he said, yes, then he actually went and healed. And he's like, and the last I checked, you're not Jesus. I said, no, no, I'm not. But the takeaway I had from that, and, and this is what I'm going back to what you're saying, is organizations want need to want to heal. They need to want to improve. So oftentimes what you'll do is you'll have a situation where they will they will say, this is what we want. And you and I are the kind of people like, okay, this is what you want. I'll give it to you. But it means we got to go down this road and this is what the journey looks like. I'll guide you, but you got to come with me. And as we start the journey, you start realizing no, you don't really want that. You think you do. And maybe in the moment when it was really painful, you did, but it wasn't painful enough that you want to change or -hmm. painful enough that you want to do something different. And until it gets to that point where you actually say, I want to be helped, no matter how much effort you or I or anyone puts into that individual, it's not going to happen. It just won't. And, and that's, and that's the thing is there. And what gets really messy is when you have some parts of the organization that do want the change and other parts don't. Now you have inner conflict. Now you have to navigate those waters. And depending on who's who in the zoo and what power they have, that can be a long drawn out process or it can could become very swift. It all depends. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, it's a very unique situation. But I find that a team or an organization needs to want to, even an individual. And I was having this conversation with someone the other day where they said, you know, everyone talks about cohesiveness on a team, but they think that cohesiveness means 
you and I and everybody else has the same goal for the same reasons. And that's why we're going after it. And what's cool about sports is that, no, everybody wants the ring. But they also are on that team for their own for many different reasons. Some want it because of the team. Some want it because of what it gives them in public. Others just because I get dollars or it means something else. Like, and personally, as a coach, I could give a shit what your driver is. As long as you're on the bus and you say this is where you want to go, if you're doing it for the money, do it for the money. But as long as you do your job on game day and and don't bring down the team, I don't care. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, you know, it's the same in the corporate world. Like your why doesn't have to all be the same, right? I would expect it to be different, right? A C-suite is going to be far more different in their expectations than that of a middle-level manager or a frontline leader, right? And and, and, and the, the, the vision of where the organization is going, in, in the case of a sports team, the Grey Cup, right? Yeah. The Super Bowl. If that's your vision and that's where you want to go and that's where you're pointed and everybody has their role and their responsibility and they understand what they need to do and they know when they need to do it, what's the problem? And so I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you on that is it's the same thing in corporations is so you have, whether it's sports or this is yes, the vision is the championship, but you got to take a step back before that is what is our identity? Mm. So many organizations don't know their identity or they have a false perception of their identity and where they truly are. So when I so when I do when I do the workers comp stuff with a company, I first look at their program and what I'm looking at is what is your identity? So they say, for example, um, their vision is journey to zero. We want zero lost time claims. We don't want any injuries. We don't want any of this. Everyone talks about safety and the prevention. But when you look at it. The program isn't really enforced properly. The documents aren't filled out properly. There isn't a response team for an incident. It's the same thing in sports. Yeah, the vision is that you want to win the championship, but your coaches are all in their own heads in their own different ways. The players are playing for themselves. They don't talk to one another. There's interpersonal conflict. There's a reason why in sports we have three different terminologies for a team. And this is where I'm coming to the identity. My question to an organization is, are you a rebuilder, a contender, or a champion? Mm. Because where you are, we all have the same vision. A rebuilder has a vision. Their vision is just that it's not going to happen this year. If it does, great. But we know it's not going to happen this year. But three years from now, we should be, like next year, we should be a contender. The year after, we should be in the championship race. Nick Saban, all these guys, this is, this is how they plan and, and build their teams. They can go into a team that's in absolute disarray and they say, okay, we're rebuilding, which means we're doing this. It's a different thought process when you're a rebuilder than when you're a contender or when you're a champion. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think people understanding that and knowing where they sit in the continuum, I think that's a really important facet. And and what's really interesting is that even going back to our particular instance, I think we were in a rebuilding mode and there was the thought that we were going to be champions. And so naturally, the the chips fell where they did. Yeah, and and that's the thing. But if you if you watch the team since then, the, the next year they got better. The pieces were there. Some other pieces got changed out. Things got better as the years went by. And now they're in that stage where they are in a discussion where if things go in the right direction, they could be looking at a great cup. But it's that's the thing is 
if you don't have people acknowledging, and, and I think sometimes the hardest person to look at is the one in the mirror mm-hmm. because they know the truth. You can't bullshit the person in the mirror. No matter how much you tell people things on the outside, no matter how much you want to have these conversations, when you look in the mirror, that person looking back to you, they know the truth. And one of the things I do with athletes when when we're doing things is I ask them, I said, if you were to look in the mirror, the person that's looking back at you, what would they say to you? And you just hear the line go quiet hmm. because all of a sudden they, they haven't thought about it that way because that's their inner person. That's the person on the inside who's really telling them the truth and say, okay, now face the truth. What, is it is it a lie or is it a truth? The things that are being told to you and you get them to realize different things. And in a way, when, when companies hire people like us, that's what they're asking is help us look in the mirror, mm-hmm. hold us accountable, show us where when we look in the mirror, what we see, because sometimes they're just blind. They don't want to see it. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's interesting. I I work with an organization and in that organization, I coach seven of their operational leaders. I want to say maybe more seven or eight of them. And through this process, what I discovered was all of these guys were dealing with this crazy amount of unmanaged workload. And so finally, I just said to the foreman, I said to him, I think we need to do this and this and this, and we need to build a strategy around these five projects and these four initiatives because they're beating the snot out of your team right now, and everybody is feeling it. And he was like, great, let's do it. And I said, okay, so I'll book a meeting Monday, and this was on a Thursday. And on Friday, I ended up taking all of the data that I had gathered from all of these other people, and I consolidated it into a single slide slide deck um, and presented it back to him on the Monday morning. And he was like, you have just blown my mind. And, and yeah. it was exactly that, right, is that from the outside looking in, like they know they live in chaos. But the thing is, is that they're working really hard for the vision of keeping the lights on, for the vision of achieving the five-year strategy. And so everything that they're doing is in really great faith but it's not necessarily doing them any favors, right? Yes. And, and you see this, in, a, in particularly in this rebound since COVID, where we're seeing people in businesses now starting to pick up again, is there's this influx of work that's coming to people. And instead of us hiring more people or bringing in uh, expert resources like us, what they're doing is they're having people do it off the side of their desk. And so I was just absolutely thrilled. This client, we did a workshop. It was a two-day workshop. We pulled all of these things together. And I mean, we were talking about granular field-level asset specific things that needed to change in order to create capacity for them to handle more in in their business. And, and it needs to happen. There are contracts that are signed. And, and so we're running this process and it kind of went quiet for a couple of weeks because they got busy and then I was off for, for competition. And so I finally just said to them, I was like, you guys, we need to get together and we need to start having these meetings and really holding people accountable. Man, we had such a great conversation yesterday because we actually have everything consolidated into one form and one format. And we're all on the same page. There is power in stepping back and creating a strategic approach when you're trying to drive a level of change. Like that's how you get people to buy in and subscribe, right? And and I think you hit the nail on the head because a lot of times when we go into these organizations and they are in that chaos, really what what we notice is where the inefficiencies are. Yeah. And we're just helping them become more efficient by simplifying a process, by looking at and giving them something else. And it's, 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 it's a challenge because, you know, when you're, and whether you're a person or an organization, when you run into trouble, you try to solve it 
but you're solving it from the same beliefs and position and structure that put you in that position. So sometimes it's hard to say, well, how can we look at something different? Because this is, this is the mindset that we're in. This is what created it. So having you go in there, bring the data. I, I'm glad he got his mind blown because it means that clearly he was looking at it from a, a different perspective that you were able to shine a light on and say, what if we just think of it differently? What if we reframe it and look at it this way? All of a sudden, you're allowing them to shift the mindset to be curious, to help you work together with them to find that solution. At least that's what I understood from that story. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, I, I look at it, you know, I almost think about it in, in the way of, you know, you have a house party and you have all the food out on the kitchen table and people are nip, nipping and picking and there's dishes and cups and like plates left all over your your house and so you're picking them up and you're gathering them and you put them in the dishwasher and that's really what I did was I gathered all of their dirty dishes and I just put them in the dishwasher I don't know how to necessarily wash these dishes but I do know how to hold people accountable for getting their shit done right and that (laughs) is you know I mean when I played football they called me the hammer right and 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 I kind of carried that through into my into my business as well right I have uh, my business partner um he used to refer to me as Terry Tate, but Terry with an I. <laughs> so. uh, that was a great bunch of skits, by the way. <laughs> totally. I think we totally. all need an office manager like that from time to time. <laughs> so listen, if we were going to button this up and we were to put a bow on it um, for, let's say, two takeaways for our listeners today, what would they be? Oh, that's a good question. Um in honor of Stoops, uh, I think one of the things is I would say is really take the time to understand the people you work with. Take the time to get to know them because at the end of the day, you're spending so much time with these people. You, They're another family. And I don't necessarily like when companies say we're a family because – to me, that doesn't make sense. You're 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 exchanging money for time and energy in this, but that doesn't mean that you can't have the feels of a family, right? And I found that the organizations that I've been a part of that were run really well and worked really well, it was they took time to understand one another and trust one another. You touched on this earlier in our conversation, is building that trust between one another that look, I don't need to like you. And we don't even have to be on the same page in terms of why we're going for this goal. But I trust you to do your job and you can trust me to do my job. And eventually we're going to get to where we both want to go for our own selfish reasons, if that's the case. Um, So that's the first thing is I'd say trust the people. And then the second one that stood out for me is wanting to be helped. Um, All right. before, Before you decide to fly off the handle before you decide to take something on, on your own. And as experts in our own fields, um, the organizations we talk to, whether they're sports or whether they're uh, corporations, they have experts who are good at what they do. And if something is not working in your company, there are external resources where that's all they do. Like you spend thousands of hours in the last several years, honing your craft in what you do to help companies. No company that I know of could invest that kind of energy or effort. They would have to hire that externally because there's just not enough time in the day. And same yeah. thing with me. If I'm not if I'm not in a session with a client, if I'm not working with a company, I'm reading something, I'm looking something, I'm learning something because I want to be better for them. So wanting to be helped and trusting the people around you and trusting the resources that are around you, 
I think those are the two that I would I would take away from from today. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for jumping on here with me. It's just so great to catch up and share some of these gems with our listeners. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Wonderful. And Pocket Change listeners, as always, if there's any content you'd like to see us feature, anybody you'd like to see us host, reach out. A call doesn't cost a thing. <laughs> <laughs>